This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter 3 is where we find ourselves tonight. If, again, if you missed any of the messages from our study of James, uh, you can get caught up on the podcast there. James chapter um, 13 is where we're going to be at tonight. I'll read down through the end of uh, the chapter. <clears throat> if you have the Who We Call app inside the Who We Call app, you can click on uh, tonight's message and click on fill in notes. That'll allow you to follow along with the notes of tonight's message. If, if, you, if you don't have the Who We Call app or you don't have your notes handy, keep your Bible ready because we're going to take a look at a couple of different passages of Scripture uh, that are, are super important to tonight's message. And so uh, I've entitled tonight's message, The Wisdom of This World. James chapter 3, uh, verse number 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, before we jump on uh, and, and get through the rest of this passage, it's important to define terms. Up to this point, we've been taking a look at the words that we use, our, the way that we use our words to build up or to tear down, and how we shouldn't use ugly, unkind words. We should use words that, that encourage and build up. And then we get to this word conversation, which you might think it means the way that we talk. The word conversation, 99 times out of 100 when you find it in Scripture, is talking about your lifestyle, the way that you live your life, your testimony, the other way that people view your life and analyze your life. So if we reread verse number 13 with that in mind, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show it out out of a good lifestyle, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. If there's one thing that I could tell you that you need to seek out in your life apart from Jesus, uh, if you haven't found Jesus yet, you need to find him because he's the hope for this life and the next. If you've never been saved or born again, you need to do that ASAP uh, right away because you need to know that you're prepared to meet God in eternity. Every single person needs to be able to point back to a time, a date, a place in their life where they received Jesus Christ as Savior and were born again. Uh, once you are saved or born again, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in you and guides you through life, allows you to see wisdom, allows you to see life differently, and your life will never be the same from that point moving forward. If there's never been a time like that for you, you need to be saved today. It's a matter of believing in your heart that God sent his son Jesus to die for your sins and believing that he died for your sins, rose again the third day. It's a matter of repenting of your sin, turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. That will be a life-changing moment for you and really unlocks everything else that you need in life. If there were anything that I was going to tell you to pursue in this life outside of Jesus, the one thing that I would encourage you to pursue is this wisdom. But it's interesting, wisdom comes in different flavors, doesn't it? And the Bible's speaking here of different types of wisdom. 
There's the wisdom of God, the wisdom of his word, and there's the wisdom of the world. And one of those is greater than the other. The Bible tells us again and again and again to seek after wisdom. Uh, An entire book was written, the book of Proverbs, to encourage you and I to walk in wisdom. We're commanded by Scripture to walk in wisdom. And again, we as Christians will grow and mature as we seek out and as we live in wisdom. Wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is the application of what we know. Uh, Again, it's easy to say, walk in the Spirit. We all know that. It's more difficult to actually walk in the Spirit. But the one who chooses to actually walk in the Spirit will be the one who the Bible deems as wise. And so when it comes to the wisdom of this world, the Bible says it's of very little value to us and actually creates more problems than it actually solves. You see, the wisdom of this world must actually dismiss God as God. You see, you cannot follow the world's wisdom and follow God's wisdom as found and revealed in Scripture at the same time. They're two different paths. And the path that you choose will determine the destination in which you arrive. For example, if you decide to uh, take H2 up to Wahiwa and you choose to continue going straight, you will wind up at the North Shore. Easy, right? If you take Kalaniani Highway towards Hawaii Kai, there's one place you're going to end up, and it's going to be Hawaii Kai. Now you might say, well, eventually you'll wind up the other place. That's not the point of the, the, of the illustration, okay? Just get it. Whatever path you're on determines the destination that you will arrive in. If you decide to follow after the wisdom of this world, I can tell you how your life will end up and what destination you'll arrive at. Easy. If you choose to subscribe to the wisdom as found in Scripture, the wisdom of God, I can assure you of the destination in which you will arise, arrive. This uh, Friday night, we're having our married couples Bible study, or married couples uh, marriage enrichment weekend, marriage enrichment seminar. I don't know what it's called. It's something for married couples, right? Friday night, Saturday morning. And I'm just going to spoil it for everybody who's thinking about coming. I'm going to encourage you basically with two things. Walk in humility and walk in the Spirit. That's kind of the nutshell of it. But sometimes we need a little bit more information, a little bit more encouragement, a little bit more uh, prodding to actually wind up there. But at the end of the day, every successful marriage that honors the Lord is a matter of walking in the Spirit and walking in humility. That's just it at the end of the day. We said, well, then why is marriage so difficult? Because we follow after the wisdom of the world. I remember when Angela and I first got married, we had zero premarital counseling. We had zero uh, pastoral counseling. We weren't even really faithfully attending church at the time. And uh, I would do a lot of foolish things. And she would say, why did you do that? And I would often say this, well, my parents did that and they were okay. Well, the fact of the matter is my parents weren't okay by any stretch of the imagination, right? When it came to parenting, sometimes she's like, why did you handle that situation? Well, that's the way that my parents handled me, uh, and I turned out okay. Facts. I did not turn out okay, right? And so, again, we can look at, well, this is the way that I've seen other people do it. I've seen other people do this and be, quote, successful. So I'm going to follow that path. When you follow the wisdom of the world, it requires you to dismiss the wisdom of God because you can't follow both paths at the same time. They exclude one another. If one acknowledges God as God, that means that you and I are accountable to God. 
Many people like to dismiss the idea of God because they have to, that allows them to dismiss the idea that they're actually accountable for their actions, that they actually have to answer to somebody, that they actually have to follow someone. And so again, to dismiss the wisdom of God, we have to be willing to dismiss God himself. And again, we go to great lengths as a human society to dismiss what God clearly reveals in his word. For example, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, I don't believe that. Okay, then you've got to come up with another scenario. Okay, two rocks were hurtling through space and they happened to bang into each other with a massive explosion and created life. Okay, that's a theory. The question that I have, why have two rocks never banged into one another since that time? and created another universe, and created life from there. Why hasn't that happened a second time? Do rocks not hit together in space anymore because they did it one time, they're kind of done from here on out? I don't know. But now we have to create, okay, now that these two rocks have banged together and then we begin to create a system now where we have to explain life apart from God. We have to. And so again, the wisdom of this world requires us to deny God's wisdom, to deny God's word. And it's easy to do that because if God is not God, we are not accountable to him. If all we have to, to offer in this life is just this life, then we don't have to worry about what comes next. I don't have to worry about how I behave. I don't have to worry about how I treat other people. I don't have to worry about living my life according to anyone's standard other than my own because this is all we have. But if God's word is true, and it is, I now become accountable to what this book says. I gotta live by it. And so again, the wisdom of this world says, hey, we've got an alternate path that you can try where you're no longer accountable to this. The wisdom of this world continues to change. Did you know that it wasn't too long ago in American history that when one uh, was, uh, got some type of sickness, they would actually put leeches on them to bleed them out, to bleed the sickness out? We look at that and go, wow, that's crazy. That was considered in that day wisdom. Like how smart we are. The sickness was found in the blood, so you cut yourself and you just bleed until the sickness comes out, called bloodletting. That was considered wisdom back then. We look at that and go, wow, that's crazy. That's harmful. That's hurtful. That's what happens when we ascribe to the wisdom of the world because the wisdom of the world is constantly changing. The things that the world says are wise today were not wise 50 years ago. We're not wise 500 years ago because the wisdom of this world is a constantly moving target. Keep your finger here in the book of James. We're going to come back in just a second. We'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 if you would. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul is writing a letter to probably the most carnal, sinful, wicked, vile church in all of biblical history. Now we believe as a church, once you get saved, that you're always saved, that you can't lose your salvation. Uh, for me, I can't keep track of my car keys, much less keep track of whether or not I'm saved on any given day, okay? We believe that God is the keeper of our salvation. We believe what Jesus says when he says, if any man is in me, he is in my hand, and I'm in the Father's hand, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. We believe that he actually means that. And so we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. 
And again, somebody says, oh, we'll point to you somewhere in the Bible where somebody didn't lose their salvation. Read the book of 1 Corinthians. This was a church that was wicked, vile, involved in all types of sexual sin and immorality and drunkenness and, and fighting and arguing inside the church. And if anybody you could say you could look at and don't see Christ in their life, the church at Corinth was that. But Paul writes to this church and he calls them, a very unique word, he calls them brethren. He never challenges them to repent and get saved again. He calls them to repentance, to be in a right relationship with their father. And he writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse number 19. He says, speaking on God's behalf, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring it to nothing, the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In other words, God has used his word to disprove the wisdom of this world and to prove his wisdom as being superior. And he's chosen to point out the foolishness of this world by the preaching of his word. And so again, it's God's God's desire. He seeks to expose the wisdom of this world and to replace it with his wisdom. He looks at the wisdom of this world and goes, yeah, yeah, this isn't wisdom. Let me show you wisdom. The wisdom of our world today says, you don't need to get married, just cohabitate, have kids, pretend like you're married, act like you're married, uh, and then we'll even get you uh, the paperwork that you need to get your insurance on the same insurance. You can have joint bank accounts, but you never actually have to get the piece of paper. That's the wisdom of this world. And when you're not happy, move on and find somebody else that makes you more happy. That's the, quote, wisdom of this world. But God says, that's not wisdom at all. God says, you shouldn't live that way. That for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. The two of them shall join together and become one flesh. And what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. You're making a commitment to another person for the rest of your life because marriage is a picture of the way that Jesus loves his church. And Jesus doesn't discard his church when he's no longer happy and go find a different bride. So that's the wisdom of the Bible. People look and they go, wow, super outdated. And we need to be careful, too, when we, as Christians, define terms. We don't say things like, we ascribe to traditional marriage. Because traditions change. Traditions, believe it or not, fluctuate from culture to culture based on, quote, traditions. We stand for biblical marriage. We stand for biblical relationships. We stand for biblical living. We stand for biblical child rearing. And again, when people say, say foolish things like, well, I came from the tradition that when your kids got out of line, you just spanked them. Uh, that's not a tradition. That's a biblical principle that we find in Scripture. That if you don't spank your kids, it's because you hate them, not because you love them. That's what the Bible says. Now, again, we have to balance discipline as a parent with the, the love of God. And we chastise the same way that God does in, in love compassion, mercy, grace with a desire to bring us to repentance and holiness and righteousness and all of that. But again, that comes back to the wisdom of God. 
The wisdom of the world says, let your kids call the shots. Let them make their own mistakes so that they can see the error of their ways and they can learn from their mistakes. We actually had someone in our family to tell us that we were doing our children harm by not allowing them to drink alcohol. And that our kids should get drunk and vomit so that they know how terrible alcohol is. We should let our kids get DUIs on their records so that they understand the difficulty that comes from misusing alcohol. And I thought to myself, that's the most foolish thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I don't have to eat garbage to realize that it tastes like garbage. Right? I don't have to dabble in sin to find out that sin is bad. I just need to read the Bible to find out sin is bad. And so God wants to bring down the wisdom of this world and elevate his wisdom in its place. Turn back to the book of James uh, chapter number 3. It says the wisdom of this world, verse number 15, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. And so, again, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 19, that God wants to destroy the wisdom of the wise. But we also see that Jesus himself exposed the foolishness of this world's wisdom. As we look at the life of Christ, we see someone who did not live the conventional lifestyle. Even amongst the religious people of his day, Jesus was kind of, a, I guess you could say, a unique individual. When the, his disciples went through the cornfield and took an ear of corn off to eat because they were hungry on the Sabbath, people were like, hey, wait a minute, you can't do that. And Jesus says, it's fine, don't worry about it. David, when he was hungry, took showbread from the temple. By the same token, if we need to eat, we're going to grab something to eat on the Sabbath. Oh, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Hey, which one of you, if your ox fell in a ditch, wouldn't pick out your, your ox on a Sabbath day? If somebody needs to be healed on the Sabbath day, they'll be healed. And the wisdom that even the religious world had, God brought that to foolishness. I think we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise after the flesh, not mighty men, not noble, not called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. Through my devotional readings, I'm currently reading through the Gospels. I'm in the book of Mark now, but I was reading through the book of Matthew. And, and I just looked at the masterpiece that is the Sermon on the Mount. And you talk about someone who totally flipped the world's wisdom on its head. Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, you've heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if anyone smites you on the cheek, offer him your other cheek. If anybody asks you to walk a mile with him, go two with them. Hey, if anybody asks for your coat, give them your coat and your undershirt as well. Go the extra mile. But also, by the same token, I say to you that you know that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm telling you that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And people are just like, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus said this. Hey, if you're committed to a woman, you need to commit to her for the rest of your life. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And if you marry, you marry for life under, unless it is absolutely extreme circumstances. And everybody stepped back and scratched their head and was like, should anybody even get married then if the window is that short of just being able to throw off your spouse? Jesus took the wisdom of this world and completely flipped it over on its head. Jesus said this. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. 
Jesus was so counterculture that his disciples were walking along and they were talking about who would be the greatest in heaven. And Jesus said this, the greatest among you, let him be your servant. That's the one that's going to be great in the kingdom. And then James and John, their mom goes to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, can my boy sit on the left and right side of your throne in the kingdom? He's like, you don't know what you're asking. She's like, oh, no, actually, I do. It's like, no, you don't. Again, because the idea of greatness being a, a place or a, a seat at the table was the world's wisdom of that day. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The greatest will be the servant of all. And you think to these guys who have had expert teaching from God himself about wisdom, you think they would get it. They didn't get it. Because when they sat down for what we refer to as the Last Supper, the Passover meal, they sat down and they began to look around at who was going to wash feet. We don't have a servant here to wash feet the way that most houses would. So who's going to do it? I'm not doing it. And Jesus gets up and does it. You know why? Because he said, who will be the greatest among you will be the servant of all. That's why Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's the opposite of the world's wisdom. You want to be great? Start by being humble. That's how things work here. Look, the greatest person at who we call a Baptist church is not the person that stands up here on Sunday and preaches from the pulpit. People get the, the misconception that the, the head of the church is the pastor. The head of the church is Christ. And some of the greatest people in this congregation, you might not even know their name. Because again, if you read what Paul says about the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says the church is the body of Christ and the church has uncomely parts parts that aren't really all that attractive, and those are the most important parts of the body. I believe some of the most important people in this church are the ones who are willing to love, pray, give, serve, and invest without having a title, without being asked to do anything, just willing to jump in and get stuff done. I love that spirit here. But again, that goes in the face of the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom says, Hey, to be somebody in, in the church, you should have your name on the church website. You should have your picture on the church website. You should have a title. Somebody should put you over something. You should be in charge of something. We had a, uh, we used to have a new members class uh, back in the day, and uh, I remember one of our very, it's probably our second or third new members class we had. Hey, if you've got questions about being a member, come to this luncheon, and we'll, we'll have lunch together, and we'll talk about the church, and so I, tell, I go through our doctrinal statement. I talk about the different ministries we have in the church and different places you can serve and stuff like that. I'll never forget this guy. Uh, he raises his hand. He's like, uh, Pastor, what, what committees do we have in the church? Uh, we don't have any committees here. And to this day at Who We Call, we don't have committees. Uh, we, from time to time, we'll have teams because teams get stuff done. Committees just have like meetings and like do nothing. And so we don't have time for meetings. We don't have any committees here. Okay, well, what ministries can I be in charge of? I don't know of anything that we have right now that needs somebody to be in charge of. And he was like, well, what am I supposed to do then? Serve? I don't want to do that. I want to be in charge of something. Hmm. I think you're probably barking up the wrong tree. This is, I don't know if this is the right church for you. And no lie, they didn't, they didn't join our church because he couldn't be in charge of something. Nobody ever put Jesus in charge of anything. 
He just went out and served and loved people. He found people where they are. He met their needs. Now, you could say that God the Father put him in charge, for sure. But Jesus didn't wait for an opportunity to be invited to serve. He just got out and got it done. That's the opposite of the world's wisdom. And one has to renounce the wisdom of this world to be able to embrace God's wisdom. You got to be willing to say, I want to live counterculture. I want to go against what the world deems as wise to truly be who Jesus has called me to be. I, I read a lot of books, and I, I believe when it comes to things like social media, there's probably things that our church could do better because I, I handle our social media, and it's, it's not great. I'll, I'll give you that. But I read one article that says, you know, pastors should determine their level of influence that they have based on the size of their church and based on their social media following. And I thought to myself, that is the most carnal, foolish thing that I've ever, and I had to like scroll back and look at the article to find out, is the author of this article, are they even a Christian? Because that doesn't even make sense. Like I determine my, my usefulness to Christ based on the number of, of chairs that get filled in a room and based on the number of people who click a follow button on the internet, like that, that doesn't even make sense. But that makes sense according to the world's wisdom. Because again, we live in a society where people want to be, quote, influencers. Hey, you want to influence somebody? Teach them the Bible. You want to influence somebody? Love them. You want to influence somebody? Take them a meal this week. You want to influence somebody? Pray for them. You want to influence somebody? Man, be willing to serve them. Well, that's no fun. That that's, goes in the face of the world's wisdom. And again, every good deed that we do ha doesn't have to be posted on social media. Again, I, I, I don't have the stomach for social media, but so many times people send me stuff, and it's just like, oh, here's, a, here's me handing a bag of food to a homeless family. Look at me, smiling, hey. Hey, just led this person to Christ, hey. Hey, just led this person to Christ, hey. Hey, just gave the gospel to this guy, hey. You know, and it's just like, is that necessary? Only if you subscribe to the world's wisdom. Because here's the thing, I wholeheartedly believe, and again, I know I'm getting off on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. Just stay with me for a minute, all right? I believe that if you want thumbs up, likes, and hearts on, on social media for the good things that you do, I wholeheartedly believe that you have received your reward. Because the Father, which sees in secret, will reward you openly. But look, if you want your own reward, you got it. Because Jesus said for the Pharisees that pray in public, they have long prayers, they have their reward. But do your things to honor the Father because they make Jesus look good, not because they make you look good. Again, that goes against the world's wisdom, but we have to choose to embrace God's wisdom and reject the wisdom of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in the world... Let him become a fool that he may be made wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness for, with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Again, I'll repeat that, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man is wise in this world, let him become a fool. God is saying you cannot follow my wisdom and the wisdom of the world. You have to choose to reject the world's wisdom to become wise in God's eyes. 
And again, when we're talking about wisdom, we're talking about the application of knowledge. Not only do I just know a lot of stuff, I'm actually living it. I'm actually applying it. I'm actually walking it out in my life on a day-to-day basis. That's where wisdom takes root. Again, it's been said before, this quote's not original to me, but it definitely rings true. Most Christians are educated far beyond their level of obedience. It's not a matter of like, oh, I don't know what to do. No, you know exactly what to do. You just don't want to do it. And that's the disconnect between knowledge and actual wisdom. You see, you don't have to have been walking with Jesus for four decades to be wise. You could have been walking with Jesus for 18 months and be ridiculously wise. Because you seek wisdom and you desire wisdom and you apply wisdom. And so, again, we cannot be students of the world's wisdom at the same time, students of the wisdom of God. You've got to pick a side. And at the end of the day, every person will have to choose who do you want to please. Do you want to please yourself? Do you want to please the world? Or do you want to please the Lord? Because, again, you can't do both. Again, Jesus says you're either with me or against me. You don't get to, to, to play both sides. You've got to pick a side. And so, again, if you and I truly crave God's wisdom. We truly desire to be used of God. We have to say, I'm not buying into the world's version of wisdom. I'm going to let the Word be my guide. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit of God inside of me be my guide. That's what's going to shape my view of God and the world in this life. Next, we see that the wisdom of this world provides some short-term benefits, but eventually lasting emptiness. Turn it over to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've never read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you should do it this week. Oh, man, it is powerful. Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. Last year, right before uh, all the, the COVID uh, stuff happened, we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes. and Not, not a, a, a full exposition of Ecclesiastes. We were just hitting the high points. But, man, it was so good. The series entitled Vanity. We, we find the word vanity again and again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. And the idea of vanity is it's worthless. It's useless. It's of no value whatsoever. Completely and utterly worthless, useless, the word vanity. And we find a man by the name of Solomon who had everything in the world that he had ever wanted. Everything. And if there was something that his heart desired, he had it. He was the wisest man to ever walk the planet other than Jesus Christ himself. He was one of the richest men to ever live in the history of the world. Like this guy's wealth makes guys like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett look like homeless dudes. I mean, like that's how rich he was in the eyes of the world. But here's what he said about everything that he had. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse number 1. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, is it mad and mirth, what is it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. He's saying, I sought out pleasure, I was looking for something that would make me happy, whether it was people, whether it was alcohol, whether it was parties, I, I went after that. Verse number four, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. 
I planted trees and all of them had kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therefore the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens. I had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasure of kings and of provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that all of all sorts so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem and also my wisdom remained with me and so whatsoever my eyes desired I kept not from them I withheld not my heart from any joy for my heart rejoiced in all my labor and this was the portion of all my labor hey I worked for this and I got it and if there was something I wanted I got it if I wanted something it was mine I held back nothing from myself in the this pursuit of pleasure. Solomon would have said, there ain't no party like a Solomon party because a Solomon party don't stop. For those of you that got that reference, shame on you. For those of you that didn't, don't go looking for the reference. It's not helpful to you. But here's the thing Solomon says, hey, if there's something to do, I did it. And I love what he says, I think it's in verse number 10. He says, I did all this and my wisdom remained in me. I did all this and, by the way, did I mention I'm super smart too? But I think we would look at this and go, wait a minute. You're chasing after women, money, status, parties, debauchery, hedonism. Yet you want to call yourself wise? Hold up, dude. Different type of wisdom there, isn't it? But here's what he came to at the end. Take a look at verse number uh, 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly, for what can a man do that cometh after the king, even that which has been already done. I looked at my life and I thought, there's nothing anybody can do better than what I've already done. And then he begins to say, well, what is life then? If I've done it all and it's all worthless, then what is the guy after me going to do? Like to top me. Like you can't top me. But even if you tried, I don't think you would find anything is what he says. So again, you find the wisest man to ever live forsook godly wisdom chased after worldly wisdom and if you read through the story of solomon that was his undoing solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines 1,000 women that he could call at a moment's notice you look at that any guy that's married will look at that and say that was ridiculously unwise right <laughs> like i've got one and only one and like that's stressful sometimes you know a thousand? What? But again, chased after the world's wisdom. And what did he find? It had some short-term benefits, but at the end of the day, it was empty. And you find Solomon at the end of his life, the women that God told him not to have turned his heart away from God and turned him towards false God and false idol worship. But here's the crazy thing about Solomon. Solomon's heart didn't get turned away by women to false gods. 
Solomon had already turned his own heart away towards idolatry first. And the moment that Solomon left godly wisdom for the wisdom of the world, that began his downfall. And he was never the same after that. And so while we can chase after the wisdom of this world, it might provide some short-term benefits, but at the end of the day, it's going to be super empty. And you'll find that when you chase after the things of this world, you'll need to continue to add a little bit more every time because it doesn't sustain. It's not lasting. You've got to have something to follow up on that. You need more. You need bigger. You need better. Because the things of this world cannot satisfy the cravings of your soul. Turn back to the book of James, if you would. James chapter 3. We take a look at verse number 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Hey, it's not a good thing that you guys have a lot of drama and interpersonal conflict and fighting amongst you. That's not good. Verse 15, this wisdom is descendeth not from above, it's earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. If we take a look at the world's wisdom, the world's wisdom brings envy, strife, and division. The world's wisdom doesn't unite. It doesn't bring us all together, the world's wisdom. And again, we even take a look at, at what our world has experienced in the last two years. Do you remember like the, the first few months of, of, of all the business shutdowns and lockdowns and stuff like that? It was all like, hey, we're all in this together. Hey, we're all pulling for each other. Hey, we're all on the same team. Hey, help your neighbor. Hey, be with your neighbor. And then within just a few weeks, it flipped, didn't it? Hey, if you see your neighbor having a party, call 911 and let us know because we're going to go kick their door down. Wait a minute. I thought we were all in this together. No, we're not. We're not in this together. Oh, okay. Got it. And then, now it begins to splinter even further. And again, this is not a, this is not a statement. I'm not even going to tell you what I think about anything that's going on. But then it splits into to vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. Then it splits into people who believe conspiracy theories and all the kinds of craziness and, and microchip adoption and, and all this other nonsense and people who go down rabbit trails on YouTube. And, and dude, oh, I thought we were all on the same team. No, we're not. We're not. You know why? Because when you follow the wisdom of the world, the Bible says that there's envy, strife, and division when you follow the world's plan. It works that way. And so, again, if you've been alive long enough to remember what happened on September 11th, we were, we were here in Honolulu on September 11th. And I remember there used to be a, a flag store over at uh, Ward Warehouse, and you couldn't buy an American flag on this island anywhere. I mean, they had a, a prayer vigil out here on, on uh, Alamona Boulevard. People like lying in the streets having prayer together. The church we were at at the time had a special prayer service. People came out of the woodwork standing in the parking lot to be able to pray for our nation. How long did that last? Less than seven days. It was fighting and bickering and arguing and all this other nonsense. And guess what? There was just more strife, envy, and division. You know why? Because we subscribe to the world's version of wisdom. And when we subscribe to the world's version of wisdom, the world wants an us versus them mentality where we succeed and they fail. That's the way this works. 
There has to be an us versus them when it comes to the world's wisdom. I have to get ahead and you have to be left behind. Again, even when we take something foolish like social media, I need to get more followers than you do. I need to have more influence than you do. I have to have a bigger platform than you do. Even when it comes to interpersonal relationships, I have to be smarter than you. I have to be better than you. And I have to be able to prove that in a demonstrable way. So my degree is better than your degree. If we have the exact same degree, my school was better than your school. My professor was better than your professor. I've read more books than you have. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. That's the world's wisdom. There always has to be a victim, and then there has to be an oppressor. We even see this now with, with the absolute utter garbage that is critical race theory. It's the idea that there has to be a group of people that are oppressed and there has to be an oppressor. And we have to castigate the oppressors, in other words, to elevate those who have been oppressed. And, and regardless of what you think, if you are white, you are the oppressor. So again, now we've created a system where we're not all God's creations. We're not loving our fellow man. We're splitting ourselves into groups of those who have been oppressed and those who were the oppressors. And the oppressors have to make right the oppression of their life. And you might say, I'm not racist. The fact that you would say that you're not a racist just proves that you're a racist. Wait, what? Yeah, absolutely, because there has to be an us versus them. And so... Please understand this statement. When you focus on racism as the root problem, it only creates further division. It doesn't heal anything at all. That's a fact. Because when you examine a person based on their ethnicity or the color of their skin, you put them in a category not for who they are as a person, but for what color their skin is, that immediately separates and segregates. That's a problem. But if you begin to look at the heart of a person, you realize that any feeling that I have of superiority over you is not due to the color of my skin or yours. It's based on the fact that I am a wicked, wretched sinner who is overcome and overwhelmed with a feeling of pride and superiority. Look again, for, for people who would say, oh, I don't have a racist bone in my body. You think that you're better than somebody because of where you grew up, what school you went to, what kind of job you have, what kind of car you drive, where you live, what your address is, what school your kids go to, because the root of the human condition is pride. And the Bible says only by pride cometh contention. And so if there's a problem to be had, the problem is pride. Why can't our stinking politicians get on the same page and do what's best for the American people, right? You know why? Pride. That's a fact. And again, not a political statement. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you want to look at or what color they are. It's a matter of superiority, pride. We're better than you, so we refuse to work with you. So again, when we look at the human condition and the wisdom of this world, it has to create separation. There has to be an us versus them where we are superior to you. And again, that's not my opinion on the way things work. That's what the Bible says. Again, look at verse number 14 in James chapter 3. 
But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You see, God wants unity. The world wants division. And envying strife, the root cause of that, pride, 100%. And so again, what's the answer for racism? It's the same answer for human trafficking. It's the same same issue of, of, of child exploitation. It's the same issue for human rights abuses in China. It's the same for child labor that takes place in South America. What's the answer? The answer is Jesus. The answer is the gospel. The answer is fixing the heart of man so that I value human beings as people that God created and that Jesus died for. I don't put them in a category based on how much money they make, their earning potential, or the color of their skin. The fix for all of this is the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God says all of us are sinners and have broken God's law. All of us are in need of a Savior, and His name is Jesus. The reason that I think so highly of myself is because I don't value Christ. I value myself instead. And this type of wisdom is devilish, and it's sensual. It's carnal, is what the Bible says. But you see, God desires an environment where everyone is covered by His grace, His mercy, and His love. God desires unity. God desires us to love one another and to serve one another. That's why the gospel, the fact that Jesus died for sinners, and God is gracious so that you and I can be gracious with one another, that's what provides the healing ointment for what ails our world. The gospel is what fixes things. Jesus is what fixes things, not the wisdom of this world. And I truly believe when we look at the shape that our world is in today, I believe that we have more racial tension in the United States today than I have seen probably any other time in my lifetime. Uh, I, I remember the, the, the Rodney King L.A. riots back in the 90s, but that was kind of confined to L.A. and Southern California. This is spread nationwide. And again, we look back at, at something as simple as Martin Luther King, who was, was not necessarily a Christian, I'll just say that, and you can do your own research if you want to ask me, we can talk about that, didn't necessarily fit the qualifications of a biblical Christian, but he said, I, I want my kids to be able to be evaluated based on the content of their character, not of, of the color of their skin. I have a dream of that. We're so far from that today. Why? Because we follow after the wisdom of this world. So again, we've got to dial things back and say God desires unity. God doesn't want you to fight and gripe with your coworkers. God wants unity. God wants peace. The Bible says, it uses the word confusion here. That this type of wisdom of this world brings confusion. The Bible says God's not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. And we think sometimes the, 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 the opposite of confusion is clarity. According to the Bible, the opposite of confusion is actually peace. And peace doesn't necessarily mean no fighting and no arguing. It basically means we come to a place where we have uh, a series of rest in God and His plan and His promises and His wisdom. And so again, it's God's desire that we would live in unity. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4, in whom the God of this world, speaking of Satan, the God of this world, lowercase g, hath blinded the minds of them which believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
You see, people have bought into the wisdom of this world because they don't see the, the value of Christ. And it's our job as Christians to help them to find the value found in Christ. Final, final thought here tonight in this passage. Walking in wisdom, God's wisdom. And sharing true wisdom allows us to expose and dismantle the fallacies of the world's wisdom. Again, walking in God's wisdom and sharing true wisdom with people allows us to dismantle the lies that our world has sold us. And again, we live in a a world today that is so easily persuaded that we can see 10 seconds of a clip on the internet immediately come to a judgment as far as who's wrong on something, right? We don't need broader context. We don't need to know what really happened. We just know who's at fault because I saw 10 seconds of a video clip online and the online lynch mob is out to get them, right? So easily persuaded. But let's just take that for a second at what it is. If we live in a society that is so easily persuaded, is there a possibility that God would give us opportunity to persuade them towards truth? I think so. What if people in your workplace for the first time ever saw what a real Christian lives like? Would that persuade them to truth? Would people call you a bigot and a hate monger if you were the guy bringing donuts to work and telling people that you were praying for them? Probably not. Hey, I heard your mom's having surgery. I overheard that conversation. I hope you didn't mind me eavesdropping, but I'm praying for you and your mom this week. You think that would would move the needle a little bit? I believe that it would. Hey, I heard that you're going through a rough spot. If there's anything me and my family can do, let me know. Hey, I heard your wife is sick. And I'm sorry to hear that. Can I send dinner to your house tonight? I just want to be a blessing to you. Wow. What do you think that would do? I think that would persuade people to truth. You know why? Because Christians just don't do stuff like that anymore. Which is shameful for Christians. So many Christians would much rather sit for an hour and be entertained on a Sunday morning, hear their favorite song, rock out for Jesus, than they would actually serving people. You know what? Entertainment is the wisdom of this world. Christians were never called to be entertained. We're called to serve. And look, more than your coworker wants to have every flaw and shortcoming in their life pointed out, they just want to be loved. They want to see Jesus in you. And acts of service go so much farther than words of condemnation. Just remember that. For everybody that you work with or that you know or that lives in your community or on your street that isn't a Christian, I promise you this, they've seen ugly Christianity before. But I don't know how many of them have seen biblical Christianity before. Like, hey, I might not agree with every decision that you make, but at the end of the day, I want you to know that I love you and that I'm praying for you and I'm for you, I'm with you. If you ever need anything, you can call on me. We had a, a couple in our church that were newer Christians at the time, uh, early, early days of who we call. We were probably maybe six to eight months old at the time. They came to our church, and he, he had a question for me. Pastor, I want to get some wisdom and get some guidance on you and something. He said, I have a coworker who's a lady, and she has a girlfriend. Would it be okay if we, like, had them over to our house for dinner? No, it would not be okay. It would be recommended that you have them over. Really? Yeah, absolutely. You totally have to have them over. That's the thing. He was like, well, I know, but like, I don't agree with what they're doing. 
well, I don't agree with anything my coworkers did at all. I said, would you have a guy over that was living it and having sex with his girlfriend out of wedlock? Would you have him over for dinner? He goes, yeah. I wouldn't think twice about it. Well, it's a double standard for you then. He's like, wow, I never thought about that. Yeah, Jesus spent time with sinners for the purpose of drawing them to himself. He didn't hang out with them because they were his people or because he wanted to, to hang out with the bros. He did it because he wanted to draw people to himself. And so you should invite your coworker over with her girlfriend for the purpose of bringing them to Jesus. Absolutely. Like you got, you have to do that. And he said, well, I don't know that they've ever experienced that from another Christian before. All the more reason to do it, right? So what would happen if Christians really threw off the wisdom of this world and actually adopted the wisdom of God's word? I'm telling you this, it would change the world. And I believe that we have the capability, if we follow after Jesus, to change the world. Twelve men turn the world upside down. I believe God could do something special through our church. But here's the thing. Even if we, as a group of people, didn't change the world, if I changed my house, that would be a massive win. If you changed your life, your marriage, your children, that would be a huge win. If you had an impact on one of your coworkers or one of your neighbors, that would be a massive win. We have the capability to do that just by living according to wisdom. You say, well, kind of short in the wisdom department. Great, I've got a whole book for you to read. <laughs> it's called the Bible. And I want to encourage you with this as you read scripture every day, because I know you read the Bible every day, right? I've been a good place to say amen, but some of you don't want to lie. That's okay. It's okay. You're honest. There wasn't any amens to that. At least you're honest, okay? You should read the Bible every day, okay? You can say amen to that because it's good. Amen. That's good. You should read the Bible every day, so amen. thank you. Okay, you can stop now. You made your point. Because you're reading the Bible every day, you should read the Bible through the lens of wisdom. That lady that touched Jesus' garment and immediately her issue of blood dried up. Jesus said, who touched me? Why did he say that? Why would Jesus ask a question, who touched me? Was it because he didn't know? No, he's God. He knows everything. He knows precisely who touched him. Even the apostles were confused. You got a thousand people around you. People are bumping into each other. And you're going to say, who touched me? Why did Jesus say that? I want to know. That's looking at the Bible from the lens of wisdom. I want to know why Jesus talked to this person and not that one. I want to know why he had compassion the way that he did. And I want to get compassion for myself. I want to look at the life of David and be able to identify this is the area where he went off track. And David's problem did not start when he walked out on a balcony and saw a woman naked taking a bath. His problem started long before that. Where did he go wrong? You see, we can read stories of the Bible, but look for wisdom. And I want to encourage you, if there's anything that I want for your life, I want you to be a wise Christian that walks with discernment. And you're known as the person that people come to when they're looking for wisdom. That's what I want from you. But that requires you to, first of all, know what to do, which chances are you probably know. But secondly, it requires you to actually do what you know you're supposed to do. That's the hard part. But that's what separates the wise from the fool, isn't it? And so I want to encourage you this week. You're going to be bombarded with the world's wisdom. 
And again, I mentioned this several times over the last several weeks, but it stuck with me so, so hard. I was talking with a, a young lady who's in her senior year of college, and she said, Pastor, I just want to be a mom and a, and a wife, but I feel like the world doesn't value that. <laughs> she said, you're absolutely right. The world has no value whatsoever for that. But God says something like that is greater than rubies and fine gold. So again, will I value what the world values, world's wisdom, or I value what God values, God's wisdom? And we have to choose God's wisdom. Well, I know, but it's, it's going to be weird if I do that. Okay, it's okay to be weird. And let me just tell you this, you're not as normal as you think you are anyways, right? You're already be weird. At least be weird for Jesus, right? <clears throat> Thank you. But here's the thing. At some point, you're going to have to say, I don't really care if I'm accepted I don't really care what my family thinks about me. I just care what God thinks. And if people are going to say that I'm weird for doing what I'm doing, hey, that's fine. Hey, if people are going to reject me for doing what I do, that's fine. Jesus says the servant's not above his master. They rejected Jesus. It's okay if they reject me. But just make sure that you're being rejected for following Jesus and walking in wisdom. You're not being rejected because you're a carnal, ugly, unkind Christian because there's a big difference. But again, I believe if you live biblical wisdom and biblical Christianity, it's going to draw people to Christ like never before. Jesus said, if we set our light on a hill, people will be drawn to that. And so let's live a life this week of walking in wisdom. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight, you don't know for sure that you're saved. You don't have what it takes yet because you don't have Jesus to walk in wisdom the way that you should. Don't leave here tonight without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. As Christians, this week, let's walk in wisdom. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.